Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back to episode four. This next guest is an ordained minister, an aspiring model, fierce, and works tirelessly and passionate, committed to and dedicated in supporting the transgender nonconforming community in Hackensack, New Jersey, as well as in New York. Tatiana Furman is the founder and CEO of Bridges for Life, a community activist uh, since 2008 has been a community follow-up worker at Housing Works Incorporated, as well as speaking at the presidential debate in 2008 for Barack Obama. Tatiana is also a member of the National LGBTQ Worker Center's New York City chapter. I am so happy and honored to have you on the show, Tatiana. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So um, I am Tatiana, <laughs> the CEO of the Bridges for Life, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on housing the TGNC community that's coming out of foster care system. Right. And the indigenous black trans sex workers that are still, unfortunately, still selling their bodies to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my, my passion, of course, is many other things. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like passionate about choreography. I am passionate about helping people. Um, I am passionate about, you know, um, knowing the depth of, of, of religion and the reality of it all, because, you know, we all think that, um, you know, some people believe that once you know the re- the, the reality of uh, churches, is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like hot dogs, you know? <laughs> it's like all this bunch of stuff created in one sausage. And, um, <laughs> and literally it becomes disgusting to the community. So um, I'm passionate about that. I became an ordained minister so I can be able to, you know, help inspire the people in my community, um, be able to marry the people in my community mm-hmm. um, and, and, and help, you know, dive those stigmas that they deal with um on a daily day basis so you know um out of all the work that i do honestly bridges for life came apart um i've been doing this work since 2008 like you said and um i got kind of tired of working for organizations that wasn't really centering the, the life of black trans women uh-huh. so that's how bridges for life came apart and um i'm very passionate of the work i do and i'm so thankful that i can be here to help educate um the listeners on on you know the questions that you ask awesome and where did that name come from bridges for life Okay, so I'm originally from New York. Of course, I'm Dominican, so I'm uh, I go by she, her, and I consider myself to be an Afro Latina. Um, mm-hmm. I'm from New York, um, born in Terrytown, raised in Brooklyn, um, lived the rest of my life in Yonkers. Decided to move back to Brooklyn. They lived in Brooklyn for like another 15 years. And, you know, life, trials, and tribulations, of course, sure. had me around the whole five boroughs. And then I decided to um, change and, and and move pretty much out of New York into New Jersey and start a new life over. And, you know, the bridge that I constantly cross over to go back from um, into, New, into New York, which my mother is still a resident of, uh-huh. so I'm always in New York visiting. And of course, the community that I still work with, because New Jersey and New York are so close to each other that many of the sex workers on that um, doesn't make it in New Jersey usually cross over to New York. And um, and unfortunately, the services out here sucks. Mm-hmm. So 
there is no services for, for the girls, uh, for girls like me in New Jersey, um, let alone the LGBT community. So a lot of them actually get up and run to New York and try to create a life in New York. So I still work with a lot of people in New York, so I'm always going back and forth. And the bridge, the constant bridge that I'm crossing is the George Washington Bridge. And um, when I was coming up with the concept of my organization, I wanted to be realistic, so I wanted to help bridge the gap between mm -hmm. um, the states and the and, and the communities, and just um and just leverage um a sense of agency to mm -hmm. my community. So um I thought about like I'm constantly crossing this bridge. I wanted to find what can connect me to both cities, and plus, you know, when when you when you are a nonprofit organization and you're um you know getting incorporated and you're dealing with the paperwork and you're doing a 501c3 blah blah waiting for the approval and all that mm -hmm. you know within that you have to give a, um you have to submit an approval i mean um, um a proposal right but of course within the proposal you know um i was trying to find a way to be lenient to everything because i didn't want to be just um restricted to one in to, to, to one section one area which is one of the things i hate about nonprofit organizations i mean nonprofit work because um I, I think of myself like a, as a as an abolitionist student. I say abolitionist student because I still I'm still learning. I think every day is always a lesson, so we're mm -hmm. always learning. So I'm, I, I say abolitionist student because mm -hmm. every day is a new lesson. So with that in mind, I know that you know, unfortunately, for organizations that um that that are five hundred one c threes or you know or um or you know churches or whatnot, like there's some restrictions that we have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. So um I wanted to find a way where I can be still my abolitionist still think of my abolitionist way and provide services to my community mm -hmm. somehow in my abolitionist way, but still having to deal with the restrictions, right? So um, it's kind of like uh, finding the loops, you know, thing to sure. get around all that. And I find it, and I wanted to find a way that I can connect everything, New York, New Jersey, um, everywhere I want, where I wanted to work, which I still do because um, I service people from Philadelphia. I service people all around. Uh -huh. I just um, went to Puerto Rico to save someone's life and bring them back home right. to New York. So, you know, I don't restrict myself to one area. So I thought about this bridge and I'm like, bridges for life. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's what you're doing in this world but bridges and mm -hmm. bridges are always going to be there and there's always going to be a bridge that you have to cross you always get the saying um be careful don't burn that bridge or that's be careful right. the bridges you burn or whatever case blah blah so it just became like a light bulb to me and i was like bridges Beautiful. for life and i came up with the name i remember i was trying to um i remember the name that i really wanted was bridges to life so bridges to life but unfortunately that name was already taken and someone else had incorporated and was and have an organization around it so um you know the organization was nothing um nothing like of the sort of that i'm doing so i'm like you know what so let's just switch a number let's switch it to four <laughs> so we switched it from bridges to um to life to bridges for life so Beautiful. that's how the name came apart bridges for life <laughs> wonderful and with this organization what do you see as the greatest obstacles and needs for the transgender non-conforming community specifically housing Okay. Housing and financial support in New Jersey. Um, you know, and I'm still, like I said, I'm, uh, um, I'm still learning because I'm fairly new in New Jersey. I'm barely, barely going on three years. Mm -hmm. So I'm still like learning. Like I, I still, I still um, use my GPS to get around my area. <laughs> 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 Got so I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning the ins and out of um, New Jersey. But, um, you know, one thing that is definitely uh, uh something that sticks out like a sore thumb is housing. Um, housing is hard for the girls out here in New Jersey, especially for sex workers, and they're all actually getting up and leaving, especially if you are a person that um, 
yeah. HIV positive sure. or going through those type of um, situations or STIs or something that could be a stigmatized. Um, you know, it's kind of like hard to get the support and the services that you need out here. So a lot of people get up and they run to New York because New York is known for having some of the best services for people that's, um, you know, surviving through HIV and, and whatnot. So, you know, um, I remember, like I said, I've been doing this work in, in New York since 2008. I've mm -hmm. worked with the Alliance of Positive Change. I've worked with Housing Works Incorporation. I've worked with many organizations. And um, since 2008, I can say that I honestly um, surpassed two hands on the, on the amount of girls that I have helped you know, transition from housing, like from, you know, Texas and um, and um, Alabama and, you know, those places up there where the services is also, you know, poor. There's a lack of services in health. There's a lack of services in housing. There's a lack of services in, um, you know, food nutrition. So these girls get up and they run and then let alone the lack of, um, you know, the lack of respect and support that we got from our own community and our own right. family. You know, some people, you, know, you know, imagine all of that dealing with all of that plus getting gay bash or or you know being misgendered or going through those kind of things that we deal that the lgbtq community deals with on a, on a regular basis so you know they get up they get up and run and they run they, they leave mm -hmm. they hear hey new york is housing the girls with hiv hey i'm going there you know i'm there i got right. hiv i'm going there i'm out i'm not going to struggle over here mm -hmm. and um and and, and 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 you know have to panhandle and possibly get arrested for panhandling because as we all know panhandling is illegal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know um it is it, 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 it's, it's imperative that services in new jersey um you know uh, um becomes a, a service for the community because there's nothing out here and um i would say that that's definitely one of the things that stick out as a sore time in New Jersey is housing and so and financial support. Because you mentioned sex work, say a little more about the sex work and some of the challenges that these folks face. Oh wow! So um, the challenges. I mean, um, well, let I, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stick with like the pandemic, right? Because I feel mm -hmm. like that's when. Um, the reality behind the the suffering that sex workers go through actually came to light, right? Because mm -hmm. now we hear, even though we've always had allies and organizations that have been fighting for the decriminalization of sex work and have been trying to help the community at large that's going through this situation, but, um, you know, in all actuality, um, we have never really heard about the the, the real seriousness and the, and the severe issue that these people go through. Mm -hmm. So um, with the pandemic um, at large, which was, is still happening now, right. you know, the world was able to hear more about sex workers. You're able to see the girls rallying and you're able to see people actually, you know, trying to get legislators, you know, to sign on bills and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. So the word is out there, right? So now it's kind of like people starting to pay attention. People starting to pay attention because they realized that while everyone was getting COVID relief funds, while everyone was getting help, uh, I mean, everyone jumped on that, on that um, unemployment, uh, on an unemployment check round train. Mm -hmm. And literally, I think it was like, what, $800 people were getting a, a week or something like that. Like, oh, geez, I was hoping my job fired me. <laughs> At that time, I remember I was so jealous that mm -hmm. everybody was still getting paid. And, I was, and, and, my, and my job, you know, thankfully, did not lay anybody off, so they were still able to um, <laughs> to pay us our weekly pay, which was the Alliance for Positive Change. I think the Alliance for Positive Change, because with them was what um, was, I learned everything that I'm doing today. So that, that's where I got most of my training, <laughs> my experience, my hands-on experience, and and everything that I that I do today, I, I pay respect and owe it all to the Alliance for Positive Change. So 
with that being said, I was very thankful that I was working in an organization that, you know, my pay wasn't affected. So, so but, uh, but in, a, in, a, in a way, I was in the back, like, a little jealous. Like, wait a minute, hold on. Everybody's relaxing. Everybody's getting $800 a week, and I'm barely getting that a week. I'm like, oh, no. But, you know, everybody was jumping on this train and getting this money and getting this help and getting this public assistance and with services out there for people. But the trans community... And when I say the trans community, I speak because I'm speaking on the LGBTQ community. So the issue that I'm speaking on is about the LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community. But realistically, sex workers is not just LGBTQ community. You know, we have all types of people doing sex work. You know, we have Spanish people, we have Black people, we have right. Black people, we have Asian people, we have Mexican people, we have all types of people, Caucasian white people, selling their bodies literally to survive. So, you know... Um, speaking on the LGBTQ issues, um, I'm sure that, that 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 the sister in the community goes through half of those issues as well. But I'm speaking from the um, LGBTQ point of view, right? So when I'm speaking, I'm, I, I just want to alliterate and make sure that, you know, everyone knows that we're all out here struggling mm-hmm. and selling our bodies. But when I mention the LGBTQ community, I'm specifically speaking on them because they have a 10 times harder. A transgender woman, unfortunately, you know, um, it's it's harder for her to sit down and have an interview with someone and actually get through the interview and get hired at a job than a cisgender woman, right? Mm-hmm. So cisgender women, I feel like, have more priorities, even when it comes to sex work. You have a vagina, you might have, you have a bigger chance at pulling more people on a daily basis because you might have less no's than, mm-hmm. you know, than the than, than yeses or whatever. Um, as to a transgender woman, you got to find a person that actually... Um, searching for a trans woman mm-hmm. or a person that is actually attracted to a trans woman and then you know and and and, and whatever whatever other issue comes in between if the person has the right amount of money if that person is far away if they come into them if they go into them whatever issue goes on but the transgender community has it 10 times harder and and especially if they're they're folks of color especially if they're more vulnerable if they're living right. in poverty if they're living in these um you know, in these neighborhoods where the community doesn't have any help, mm-hmm. these black neighborhoods, um, people of color that are going to already, you know, a poor dysfunction in their mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, you're like, wow, right? And um, how can we help that community out? And while there's other people that's out there trying to help the, the cisgender women, um, you know, get out the game or whatever the case is, there's still a bunch of people out there that, doesn't have that opportunity. It doesn't have that privilege. And even, you know, everybody, and we got to be realistic. When you say, okay, let's get um, somebody out the streets and let's try to um, help them stop selling their body, let's educate them, let's get them a job, let's do this, what? That all sounds great. Mm-hmm. But let's be realistic. The jobs that we're trying to get them hired and they don't have the, the they're, not, they're not capable to perform whatever it is that they're asking them to perform, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that might be one barrier. Then um, the other barrier is, um, you know, the stigma, the stigma of being trans. Are you really going to get hired when you go down to the interview? Um, mm-hmm. Is some a-hole going to act a certain way because he has a stigma of you being, you know, trans or whatever the case is? So, you know, realistically, these are things that can be swept under the rug because, if I go to an interview and I just simply don't get hired, he can easily say, yeah, she didn't qualify. I didn't feel that she was the right candidate. I mean, that's the easiest way to, to, to stay safe. There's no way of me proving that you didn't hire me because I'm trans. So it's like, you know, there's so much issue that goes into 
Right. A trans woman getting out the game and a cisgender woman getting out the game. So that's why a lot of people in the tra- LGBT community stays in the game. Right. Right, which makes it really difficult. So tell me a little bit about, you know, when you talked about bridges and, and all of the obstacles and needs of this community, what services specifically do you provide? And so we do pretty much everything that um, every other organization do. We know we do uh, support groups, you know, mentoring. Mm-hmm. Of course, we advocate for people. We rally. We, you know, we um, will help other organizations rally and whatnot, show visibility, of course, to our events. Mm-hmm. I feel like every event that we do is, is with a specific... Um, with a specific target, you know, the, the transgender... We, like, you know, on a yearly basis, we focus on three events, which is... Um, the Transgender Day of Remembrance, mm-hmm. which is to shed light to all the girls that have been getting killed throughout the year. Right. Um, I take the opportunity to have like interviews with you know with, with channel with um with news channels or you know podcasts like I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and 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 these kids, these journalists that are coming from these colleges, you know, um, looking for an internship or whatnot. I use these platforms to try to get my voice out. Right. So I use these um, events to actually, you know, help produce that. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 Fourth of July, which is um, our Trans Dependence Day ball, is mm-hmm. because we don't believe in the patriot um, world and the way they think. Sure. And, and and for us, it's after red, white, and blue, and it's all about the pink, white, and blue. Yes. So you know, so <laughs> I try to use that method to try to spread mm-hmm. education or whatever. And, show them our real history of um of our land who's obviously been stolen you know <laughs> and and then um and then of course you know we have like a yearly retreat um which is of course i try to use that to actually provide oases to the community mm-hmm. and a safe space where they can actually heal communicate with each other put away any bad vibes and just kind of get a little usa from away mm-hmm. at all like i always say you cannot um you you you, you cannot reform yourself or you cannot possibly um, create self-care for yourself in an environment where you either been, you know, raped, um, abused, um, misgendered, mistreated, disrespected, you know, all of that, you know, um, uh, in the same area where you have to sell your body to survive. You can't possibly, you know, take time off to actually relax and woosa in that environment. So, you know, taking them out of the city sometimes and going two, three hours away and being able to, you know, stay in a nice mansion for a weekend, you know, very bougie. <laughs> I try to give them a very good experience. I'm like, nice. listen, I like to live good. So whenever I do an event, I like to provide that same, uh, you sure. know, that same to them as well. So, you know, my retreat, I was like, if I cannot give everybody their own room, I'm sorry we're not having a retreat. Like, point mm-hmm. black, it's just like that kind of thing because I've been there and um, I've been there and I've done that. I've been a client also. So, I've been working since 2008. I see how these organizations, you know, run. I see, I see how they communicate with each other. I see how, how the um, the grants that they're provided with um, has certain restrictions that only require that only allows them to do certain things, and they can sometimes come and think out the box and provide a real retreat to the or to, to the community because unfortunately those restrictions and those restrictions come in forms like um, maybe they couldn't find a mansion with 15 rooms, so they settled for a house with seven rooms and now they're gonna have three girls in each room because each room has three beds that to me isn't uh you know say a retreat mm-hmm. that to me is kind of like you know it might be for certain for certain people but for the kind of retreat and for the kind of experience for the kind of oasis and for the kind of 
healing that I want to provide for my community and my organization, I think it's to be somewhere where I can provide everybody with their own room. I need it to be where somebody can actually feel like they're they're in their own apartment in their own little space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you can actually, if you have to go downstairs and the the topic that we're speaking about or the session that I'm providing um, in the retreat is so either you feel like whatever, if it's toxic or if it's too emotional for you or if it's touching mm-hmm. too close to home and you need to move sign, go away and feel like you're alone and push away from that area you and can you can at least go up to flights into your own room look out the window look at some mountains and relax while you kind of cope yourself back into reality and come back down to continue vibing with us you know so you know because in reality when you're providing these um these services you know, uh, um, we're actually speaking. We're actually, you know, providing um, intervention. So, you know, the, mm-hmm. in, in these kind of conversations, you know, things come up, things mm-hmm. come up, and, and 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 things hit close to home. And 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 when that happens, you know, you can become either um, depressed, stressed, um, very emotional, teary, and and things like that. So you need to be able to have space to provide that incorrectly, and to be able to, you know, pull a person to the side and provide them you know, with a one-on-one therapy if they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's how I work. And I, and I, and I just, I just try so strong and, 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 and very sternly to provide, um, whatever the best, the best, the best royalty that I can to my community mm-hmm. and the people I work with and the trans community, because they deserve it. Most of the girls in my community doesn't have the opportunity to go on a vacation or have a retreat. Most people that never even left their own state, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. I just try to provide that kind of, um, experience to them through, through the retreat, um, that we do every year. I think it's beautiful. I mean, there's so many things that you're doing, like housing, financial resources, um, retreats, vacations, where, like you were saying, many of the the women that you're working with don't even have that idea that that even exists. Definitely. Um, You know, feeding the community, because, you know, the things is that you you get food stamps. People get these $200 of food stamps a month. Um, I lived, you know, like, like, again, I was a client, so I received food stamps before in the past. I mm-hmm. got help from, um, social services also with my rent before in the past. So, you know, I, as I, as far as I can remember, you know, and I'm and I know that some of my clients now are still only getting 200. Um, so as far as I can remember, that 200 used to go like in two, three days. Mm-hmm. I used to go food shopping and forget it. Within the first week, there was no more food in my house. So I had to either go to pantries or whatnot. But what happens is that when you go to these pantries, in these neighborhoods, especially for the girls that live in Brooklyn or the girls that live in, in the Bronx or the people that live in Newark, New Jersey or Jersey City, you got to go to these spots where it's kind of boogie. You know, mm-hmm. we call it boogie the hood. Dangerous. You know, when you got to go right. to the hood, it's a little dangerous for you, especially if you're not passable. If you're not a passable trans female, that's out of 10 while you're standing in line waiting for a freaking box of food right. to go and nourish your stomach for the week, you're going to have to deal with harassment, people staring at you, people talking about you, people laughing, making fun of you, whatever, um, um, older parents with their kids there or whatever, and the kids are looking at you for and You know, all of those things, all of those stigma that actually stops someone from going to a pantry line to actually nourish their body. So... Mm-hmm. We was able through the program, we was able to, um, um, thankfully, unfortunately now we're kind of like in a, um, we kind of hit a, a dead end with, 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 with the grant that we was actually providing the food with. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of like waiting to see if this starts back up in September, which we hope, mm-hmm. pray we hope, but um, it, it seems like it's like a no-no right now. But I'm grateful that at least for the two years that I was able to do it for, I literally, um, and we just stopped literally in the beginning of June. Um, that the, um, So it's been like already four weeks that we haven't been able to provide meals that we 
we've been doing for the last two years. Um, and that broke my heart, of course. Like, yeah. I remember I was crying for like two days straight. Mm. But, um, you know, um, we was providing meals um, on a weekly basis. Um, so every week I was providing 300 meals to people, That's feeding 300 people. And that, yeah. to me, was the most that um, I was doing. Because what I do is that, I go to these organizations. Of course, I'm always here for my LGBT community. And I always tell them, wherever I'm at, you're safe. Come to where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Like, as long as you're with me, you're around me, you're going to be safe. I like to go to the boogie areas because those are the people that we need to educate. Those are the people that we need to have on our side. Those are the people that we need to see. Like, you know what? Okay, they're our family as well. So I go to these areas and I feed them. And I always let them know, hey, don't forget, I'm a transgender woman. Don't forget, there's a transgender woman feeding you today. When you see a transgender woman out here, protect her. Don't let nobody, you know, they do X, Y, Z. Remember about me. You know, like, and I try to, you know, use my privilege however I can to try to alleviate the community and the LGBT community that's living in those areas. So, mm -hmm. you know, however I could do that, you know, I feel that, um, being able to provide food in that community is a good gesture. You know, people mm -hmm. that are homophobic or people that are transphobic or whatever, they see that there's a trans woman providing food in their area. And even though they might not like me, they might not like what I'm doing or may not like, or might look at me like, a, 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 uh, excuse my language, a faggot or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, homophobic slurs they might want to use or whatever the case is. When they're in the predicament where they really have no money as a man, when you have no money to feed your kids and you have to come out and actually get food from a transgender woman is a different type of appreciation that you will have for that community moving forward. So I feel that what I do is definitely empowering and definitely helping out many um, many kings in the community um, actually realize that we are sisters too and that we're your family and we're all in this together and we're all in the same home and we're just trying to get out and we need to feed each other and help each other out to get it out because what they say, that it takes a village to raise a child, right? Well, it takes a whole village to raise us into adult, literally. So um, I try to use that method and that, and, and, and that way of speaking to people when I speak to them and I'm real and I, and, and I come out like that and I talk to them the way I'm talking right now with my hands and everything. <laughs> and, you know, they connect, they get it. And, and, and I always say real recognize real, no matter what way, no matter what way, shape or form, um, when it's right, when it's presented right in front of you and you know that it's genuine and it's all love, you know, you have no, no other choice but to, you know, not to not. I mean, you're educating and empowering communities, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but your message and marching and feeding communities of the most basic things, you know, and you said real recognizes real, you know, people fucking starve. People need yes. to eat basic stuff. And so for you to provide that while reducing the stigma, I mean, times like this are folks like you and your organization are needed more than ever, you know, because it's Thank so you. polarizing, right? Um, so with all of these services, tell me a little bit more about the housing and the financial. How can folks that you serve get housing and wh what do you see the struggle is? So you know, unfortunately, um, like in New Jersey, the only connection that I have in New Jersey to housing people that are like between the ages of 18 to 26 mm -hmm. um, is a, um, an organization 
called the Rain Foundation. Um, and they're they're an amazing organization. But of course, again, like I said, um, trials and tribulations while or, while an organization is open sometimes leads to more restrictions and and whatnot. And um, what was a six month housing opportunity for kids in our community, unfortunately, now has became a ninety day housing opportunity. So um, you know, it's unfortunate because sometimes the ninety days is like, what the heck can you do in ninety days? Your paperwork probably can't even be together right. in ninety days. You know, so sometimes it's kind of like you know, you know. But unfortunately, that that's that's the services that is out here in New Jersey, and I appreciate them for it because with that little bit of service, I've been able to actually get people in there and get them out into another place and da 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 and, and finagle that around. But the cutoff age is twenty six, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And um, and as far as you know, any other housing opportunity for the LGBT community is not really um, there's nothing really out here in New Jersey for them. Um, and I'm sure that the few places that is out there is more um it is it, more centered around cisgender people and that's where the stigma lies and mm-hmm. all that other stuff so the people don't go there they run away from that and then um you see them in the streets or running away into new york or sleeping from house to house and um you know and trying to figure it out some people leave new jersey to you know for for um a small period of time just to, just, just to go, not, not for a permanent thing, but it's kind of like, okay, let me go temporary. I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I need it because now I don't have nowhere to stay in New Jersey, so let me just go temporary. But I'll, I'll be back because, you know, this is where they're from. This is where they went to school. This is where they raised up. This is where their parents still live. This is where their friends are, or whatever the case is. And unfortunately, um, that's not the reality. They don't end up coming back to New Jersey. They end up having to stay in New York because, again, it never progresses in New Jersey for them to come back. There's not, there isn't nowhere for them to come to. So, um, you know, I've, I've only I've been out here for three years, but um, and, and it's unfortunate because, um, you know, like I've been able to do a lot with my organization. I've been able yeah. to, you know, close the people, feed the people, uplift the people, get people jobs and connect them to the other different agencies that have been helping them financially and whatnot. And I also help financially with a weekly support group that I was doing almost for a whole three years and right. it was given out $100 on a weekly basis. So pretty much that had to come to an end also because of um, the lack of funding that we have been getting, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but my plans is to um, hopefully have a big building mm-hmm. about the size of the Bellevue Hospital mm-hmm. um, and be able to house at least like over 200 people. Well, in my proposal, so literally, um, in my proposal when I, when I went when I first went for the five one c three, that's the number that I literally wrote on my proposal. 200. 200. Uh-huh. I wanted to be able to house at least 200 people so i went to a big enough building that i can do that um so that's my dream i want to be able to have a huge building that hopefully about the size of a wall block <laughs> that you know i can house everybody in and um and still provide the services all under one roof you know and i see this happen i know it can happen um um i i i, I want to big ups and um and put on a spotlight the line i'm mean, um housing works incorporation which is the first organization that i see it all done in one area mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i that's where i get my idea from in my organization i feel like yeah i know it can be done and i want it done all in one building and um and yeah could, we can venture out of course and have a little you know stationaries here and there that can help us with funding and whatnot sure. but you know the actual motive is to have a building to house the community in one area and be able to just provide that to the people that's coming out of the foster care system because they're the ones that are the most vulnerable the ones that's being lied to um 
it is a study out there that pretty much showed that there was like 68 percent of the population that's out there sleeping under um train stations and under the bridges and literally i'm not talking about the people that's cop, that um couch hopping from friend's house mm -hmm. to friend's house but the people that are actually in the oh. street we actually know where to go and um it's 68 percent of the of the of that population is people that age out of the foster care system um and you can only imagine i am now 30 i'm 39 going on 40 my birthday is in um 26 well not 26 one day so it's not the first but <laughs> july 26 is my birthday and i'll be 40 and um i just realized and figured out what the heck i want to do with my life and who's to say that five ten more years i'm like oh no you know what i want to be a singer <laughs> means a long, you know what i want to be a singer let me try to be a singer but for now unless this say that i'm 40 and i feel like i just re realized what i want to do for the rest of my life um uh, Abraham Lincoln um, was a nobody of, uh, well into his, four, um, to his 45th year, and he didn't become um, president until he was like 46. Um, like, so literally, you know, the, all of us um, at the age that we're at, sometimes we're lost and we don't even know what we want to do in life, but we mm -hmm. figure that out later on at the age of 40 or 45, 50 years ago. Now you know what you want to do. You want to settle down, you want to save money, you want to retire, you want to X, Y, Z, or whatever the case is. But I say that to say that if that's us, if that's me at the age of 40 that just figured out what I want to do for the rest of my life, you can only imagine a 21-year-old. At the age of 21, honey, I didn't even know. I don't even think I know my proper pant size. At the age of 21, literally. Or, or let me even be more, a little more realistic. As a woman, at the age of 21, I didn't even know my proper bra size. And I know many of us did not know our proper mm -hmm. bra size at the age of 21. Because that's when everybody was going to Victoria's Secret to actually mm -hmm. get measured to see what was their proper bra size because, you know, bras wasn't fitting them correctly or whatever the case is. And we obviously was reading everything incorrectly. Mm -hmm. right. So, you know, um, you can only imagine... Uh, um, uh, you know, a, a kid in foster care at the age of 21, not knowing what they want in their life. And here it is there. They've been, say, for example, at this household since the age of 18 or 16 or 15. And they've been there for quite some time, six, seven years. They're about to, they're, they're about to 21. They're considering these people, their parents, their mother and father and whatnot. And then here it goes at the age of 21. Now, all of a sudden, that person is not getting that money for you no more. So now things become different. Now, say for example, you was at a party, you're 21. You're at a party, you get, the party gets raided. Police go in there, they caught, you know, mm -hmm. teenage people drinking booze. And they say, you know what? <clears throat> Everyone gets arrested. And everyone is getting arrested. So now here it is, the parents get called, right? Oh, we got your your, your kid, you know, mm -hmm. blah, 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 in jail. Now you got to go and show face and get them out of the precinct and want to go home, right? And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. We would not be allowing this in our house. Our own biological kids don't even do this. Our own biological kids haven't even got arrested. Oh, no, this is too much. We cannot take this no more. You have to go. And now here it is, at the age of 21, you're kicked out into the street with nowhere to go, no future, no plans, no idea of what to do next, mm -hmm. literally. And those are the people that become drug addicted, um, people that we call bums, unfortunately, the ones that we would not want to sit next to on the train station. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the result. 
uh, that 68% that was in that search in their research study that showed that those that 68% was from people who aged out of foster care system. Mm-hmm. And so there lies the and need. try to, you know, change that around. Hopefully, I feel like um, I want to have a place where mm-hmm. when if and when that happens, that they're, they they don't have to go into the streets and, and sex work and try to figure it out. Um, you know, they can actually come to us and, and, and be housed at Bridges for Life and be there for at least four to five years. Um, you know, and within those four to five years, be able to, you know, build them up to young, successful adults, give them job opportunities, you know, educate them, get them job ready, you know, resume ready. And you know, all this stuff that, that we can provide, hopefully provide them the clothing and whatnot, you know, help them build themselves up to young, successful adults. Um, and I just I I I know that I um, I will be able to do that some someday. I I'm, I hope that time comes soon. <laughs> well, I think that's amazing, and you know, it might be a dream now, but it certainly is a need today as well. Definitely. I mean, to have this housing kind of all-in-one services where you know these young folks can feel proud of their identity no longer think they have to resort to drugs or alcohol, no longer need feel like they have to resort to sex work, um, and are loved and are seen, because you see them. You were one of them, you know? So, it. I mean, if anyone understands this perspective, um, it's you. And so, obviously, you have deep passion for this work and doing a really good job. Um, what final thoughts would you like to share to first, if a young person is listening, and then second, as a provider? So if a young person is listening, I would say that um, the world, unfortunately, is still trying to catch up. Um, it is best for you to be patient and somehow try to understand that the world is still trying to catch up. And that can help alleviate anger and um it, 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 can, it can provide a sense of relief on your growing and your growth as a transgender or lgbtq person mm-hmm. um sometimes you know you know families fall apart because of this you know the kid wants to live their life and they they you know the mother says you can't live like that in my home you gotta get out of here whatever the case is the kid leaves, um, finds a way. Um, I feel that a lot of times the parent does these kind of things to try to like, you know, hold the, um, not only hold the kid accountable, but kind of like control them, right? Because they feel like, well, um, I think a lot of parents, um, when, when, we, when we have kids that are, say, for example, six, seven years old, they want a burger for dinner. And you say, no, you're going to eat these damn vegetables. Right. And the kid is like, I'm, I'm going to run away. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you'll be like, yeah, 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 whatever, run away. You'll be right back before the, before the daylight hits the face or whatever. You know, this is the way um, we think. I think we grow up with that way of thinking. So we think that by saying to our kids, well, no, you're going to have to get out of here. If you want to live like that, that's that somehow is going to turn them straight again. You know, um, and us, as the as the person who feels like we're getting abused, don't understand that, right? So that we run away, we live our life, whatever. So somehow we made it. We don't have to come back home. Um, and sometimes that um, turns into hate. That turns into hate, frustration, and then that connection never happens again. That reconnection never happens again. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I feel that when we understand that the world is still catching up, you know, you leave the door open for a possible reconnection. All 
parents love their kids, I believe. Um, even the ones that say they don't. Um, I believe that all parents love their kids. Just like, and um, I say that, and I believe that to be true because I'm a foster parent. And mm -hmm. um, in order to be a foster parent, you need to go through different um, parenting classes. So I went through my parenting classes and I feel like I'm a hell of a parent. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, no matter what, a parent did to the kid, a foster kid always loves their mom and always wants to be back with their mom. Mm -hmm. No matter if their mom was a crackhead, no mm -hmm. matter if their mom was a drug abuser, no matter if their mom was an alcoholic, no matter if their mom used to abuse them, no matter if their mom used to let their boyfriend rape them, mm -hmm. they always still want mommy and they always want that hug. And they always, sometimes when they age out, sometimes they return back home. So, um, you know, knowing that would allow you to leave that door open for a possible reconnection. So I say that don't be harsh with yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Try to understand that the world is still catching up. Wonderful. And as provider, um, what would you tell them? What would be important for providers to keep in mind if providing services to this um, population? the biasness um and i think I, I got goosebumps when i said this like oh my god i don't know if you can see this but oh, I really yeah. when i said this literally and somehow i'm feeling like some emotion coming over me like i want to cry but i'm holding it i'm definitely mm -hmm. not gonna cry but i'm speaking specifically to the transgender community and the LGBTQ community because um, the people that I got my education from wasn't trans. They wasn't LGBTQ. However, they educated me very well on how to treat the LGBTQ community, um, not with specific tactics, but simple things that as a provider, you should know how to hold back on your biases, um, mm -hmm. how to distinguish your own feelings, your biases on certain things, how to be able to be an adult enough to, um, if you're confronted with a person who is dealing or has done something that you are feeling biasness coming up, and you know that that is going to affect the way you provide services to that person that you pass them up. You pass them up to someone else that would not have that bias that's able to provide that services because mm -hmm. that's where we all fail. When we start, and, and listen, it's something that you can't deny. We all have biases because let me tell you something. Right. Um, if you tell me, um, hey, Tatiana, here's this guy that just raped a three-month-year-old newborn mm -hmm. and he wants, he needs help with his rent. Can you help him? He just came out of jail. He did mm -hmm. um, XY, XY years in jail and he raped a three month year old baby and that's why he went to jail. And you know, now he needs help with his rent and, he, and now he says he's gay and mm -hmm. he needs help and we found your organization. I am gonna feel some type of way. Right. So I know that that's my biases. Mm -hmm. I know in my heart I wouldn't be able to deal with it. I would be so pissed off at him. I'd probably love to know off at him or all the you know, so um I gotta re be real you know, I gotta be realistic no, with myself mm -hmm. and, and know that this is not a person that I would be able to provide correct services for because I would be petty. I will be angry. I'll be probably looking at that clock and that person's calling me at 430. I'm like, no, nope, I'm sorry. I got on that four. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, I will be, and this is what happens a lot of the time that we um, let our own biases between providing services. You know, um, the, when, when, when in reality, you know, um, I'm 
we all say that we all valid for our feelings. And yeah, I can be valid for, for my feelings because I might have a three-month-year-old baby at that time. Sure. It might be hitting too close to home. So my feelings are valid, but that man is a human being and he deserves services and he deserves to be reformed. However, we can help him be reformed and not shy him away to possibly commit the same thing that he did in the first place. Sure. So, you know, if you know that you can't provide those services, then you pass that person on to someone that you know that will be able to. So I feel like that um, that happens a lot in the transgender community, a lot of the um, the girls now, because I feel like we're in a whole other revolutionary side that there's a lot of more trans activists coming up out of the woodwork, trying to do things in the community. We're all building our strength up. We're all, like, not having it, mm-hmm. you know, and whatnot. However, the problem with that, is that there's a lot of abolitionists. There's a lot of people that actually didn't go through the training. There's a lot of people that actually don't have their certificate or not aren't certified by the state of New York as a peer worker. Um, all these trainings actually mean something, and all these training is actually inhibited and is important for you to have when you're providing services to the community. Because if not, you're going to fail. You're going to let these biases come in the way. You're not going to be open-minded. You're, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of wrenches that's going to be thrown in there while you're providing services that's going to cause you to flick that finger up and to, you know, um, somehow provide bad services. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I would say to providers. And um, to be kind, be loyal, be loving, and we have to meet our clients where they're at, always. Um, Mm -hmm. Never drive the person, because what might have worked for you is not going to work for them. It just can't. Everybody's different. We all have different connection we all have different vibes we all have different frequencies Mm -hmm. and um and 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 i'm very spiritual and this is literally something that's real you know spirituality is something different energy is different and everyone has different spirituality and different energy and different vibes and we all attract different energy and we all attract different vibes so what works for me is not always going to work for you I attracted my husband. I'm a married woman. That doesn't mean that that's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, so at the end of the day, we got to be, we got to be realistic, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that's the reality. And once you do your research and you know the reality of everything, you're like, okay, you know what? That's what it is. This person um, obviously can't, attract this kind of job because X, Y, and Z, or maybe whatever. Um, so we have to be mindful of that, and we have to meet the person where they're at and actually work with them within their at. We can't provide them with a path to do something. We have to help them create their own path to move forward. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Um, one of the things I wanted to add, thank you again, Tatiana, for the story, for your work, your continued work. Um, if people wanted to get a hold of you, they can look on your website at bridgesforlife.org. Yes. Um, and all the events that you're going on, especially if, for those listening from the East Coast in New Jersey Definitely. and New York. Um, and please sign the petition. Sign the petition, everyone, if you're listening, sign the petition. So we're um, running a New Jersey Safe campaign. The, state, the word safe stands for the acronym Sex Workers um, Access to Fair Employment. Um, because, you know, when we're thinking about helping to reform, and we're talking about the Nordic model, right? So um, for those who don't know, the Nordic model is just pretty much um, different strategies and ways of thinking that, um, you know, like uh, these certain countries have abide for, um, abide by like Iceland, New Zealand, um, mm-hmm. you know, Norway's and those, you know, places like that that believe in the Nordic model, which is um, pretty much um, not uh, not arresting the the 
the servicer, but the person who's actually going for the service. Don't um, at the seller, the buyer. So they they don't they don't want to arrest the seller, which is the sex workers. Mm-hmm. They want to arrest the buyers, right? Because they think that this is the way to actually fight back um, sex work, you know, and and helping mm-hmm. you know a group of sex workers get reformed. When in actuality, it does a lot worse. It pushes them back into mm-hmm. corners, right. into danger, into dangerous spaces because they're not able to screen their clients um, like they used to. Because now these these women, if they're getting harassed or if they're um, getting abused. They're not able. They're less likely to go to the police and um, and actually file a report because now the police knows that hey, you live in such and such place, and we know that you're a prostitute now. So now I'm gonna stake out myself in front of your house because now I don't have to find the Johns. It's easy because I can just catch them in front of your house. So now you know, putting yourself in more danger um, and possible you know possible Johns thinking that you're in cahoots with the police or whatever. You get yourself killed. You know, and um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It might work over there, but like I said, what works over there or might work for someone might not work for everyone. That's not going to work over here, and um, it won't work over here. Full decriminalization is what we need to help reform sex workers and help uplift them and build them to be young, successful adults or adults, if they are already adults. Mm -hmm. However, no, we can't help reform them by arresting them. And the only way that um, we can stop from getting them arrested and for everyone included to get arrested and to be reformed is to fully decriminalize it. Um, by decriminalizing and stopping the stigma behind it, people can um, actually speak more about it. Actually, people can won't be too ashamed to actually go to an interview and say, yeah, um, so what was your last job? I was a sex worker. You know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. these, are, these are things that will not happen now because of the stigma. We have to help reform our community, not punish them. So Absolutely. there's no way that we can uh, reform a group of girls by punishing them. We have to replenish them and educate them. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And folks, please take a look at Tatiana's website. Congratulations on the work that you're doing and good luck on July 4th and happy birthday soon. Yes. And (laughs) um, happy 40 years young. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk soon. Thank you again, Tatiana. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.